title of the message, The Secret to Contentment, The Secret to Satisfaction, The Secret to Peace, The Secret to Tranquility and Serenity. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. The words of God's man, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, as he writes to Miles Road Baptist. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of has flourished again for me, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, there to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthened me. The secret to contentment. Remember when we headed into prayer time, I asked you to rate your contentment number. One to ten. One being totally discontented, unsatisfied, no peace, no tranquility, no serenity, Ten, I've got all of it, and I'm doing fine. Where are you at? We live in a restless world, don't we? A world where contentment, satisfaction, is hard to find. We have everything under the sun. Everything under the sun. Nobody has ever had the stuff that we have. We have money in the bank. We have every gimmick and gadget and thing there is. We have relationships. We have thrills. We have pleasures. We have it all in abundance. Yet when it comes to contentment, when it comes to satisfaction, we have none of it. The Rolling Stones well said it years ago. I can't get no satisfaction. Heard the story of a pilot flying over the Ashley River. He turned to his co-pilot and he said, When I was a boy, I would fish in that river and dream of one day flying an airplane. Now I'm flying that airplane, and I dream of fishing in that river. (laughs) Sometimes you think all I need is to get something more, to get something better, to get something different, and I will be content. And you find when you get it, you're still not content. I heard the story of two teardrops who were talking about life's hurts. The first tear said, I'm the teardrop of a woman who loved a man but lost that man to another woman. 
And the second tear said, I'm the teardrop of that other woman who got him. Some of you think if I could just get rid of somebody, I'll be happy. If I can just pick that person up, I'll be happy. No, you won't. Like the pilot, like the two teardrops, like you and I. Paul struggled with how to have peace and contentment, satisfaction, if you will, in a world where life can change so quickly. In Ephesians, and excuse me, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, Paul has struck spiritual gold. Like the miner who finds gold in the cave and says, Eureka! I found it. Paul has found something spiritually that causes him to shout and to say, Eureka! I have finally found it. I have found contentment. I have found satisfaction. I have found peace. I have found serenity. This world cannot give it to me. I cannot buy it from this world. But now I've got it. Now I've got it. How did he get it? And by the way, this was a progression. It just didn't happen all at once. But it happened. How did he get contentment? How did he move the contentment number up the scale to where it could be an 8, a 9, and a 10? Four things I want you to learn this morning about contentment, satisfaction, peace in a world where it's hard to find. First of all, I want you to know that contentment is found in understanding that God is in control. God is in control. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, if you just scoot back a few chapters, we are reminded that when Paul is writing this letter, by the way, an epistle is a fancy word for a letter, and what we're reading is somebody else's mail. Because Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. But God's Spirit saw it necessary to put this letter into what we call our Bible. So not only is this a letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, in many ways it's a letter from the Lord to Miles Road, using Paul's letter to the church. But I want you to understand as Paul is writing this, Paul is in prison. He's not at the Marriott. He's not on vacation at the Wyndham in Orlando. He's not at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. As Paul writes this letter, and he's rejoicing in the fact that he has found contentment, he is writing from a prison. Why is he in prison? What crime did he commit? He really did not commit a crime. He was put in prison because Caesar of Rome thought if he could put God's man 
in a prison, the message of God would stop. You can put a man of God in prison. You can silence a man of God. But the message of God will not cease. So Paul is in prison because he dared to preach Jesus to a society and to a world that didn't want to hear it. Paul is in prison. It's not a country club experience, by the way. The prison that he is in is small, it's dark, it's damp, it's cold, it's moldy. Rats scurry across the floor as big as your foot. Cockroaches climb the walls and the ceiling. The stench is nauseating. The screams of dying people never end. And 24-7... God's man is attached to a Roman security guard wrist to wrist. The guards who had this type of duty were among the worst of the worst when it came to brutality. Most probably these Roman prison guards that attached themselves to Paul while he was in this small prison, most of them were probably profane, vulgar, rough, brutish, sadistic type of men. And Paul, every day of his life, lives in that condition. Every day of his life, he is tired, he is hungry, he is sickly, he is cold, he is wet. In this hellhole, he finds heavenly contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is an inward peace that is seen in an outward joy. An inward peace that is conspicuous. People can recognize it. They may not be able to figure out exactly what it is, but they see it. And it's not only conspicuous, but it's contagious. The people who see it want it although they don't know what it is they want. And this inward contentment, this inward peace that shows itself in outward joy, that's conspicuous and contagious to others, comes, listen to your pastor, comes when you realize that God is in control. We, yes, we make decisions. And sometimes they're foolish, wicked decisions. But in every decision, in every choice we make, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. God is sovereign. God is on the throne. And God controls everything. He really does. The who's, the what's, the how's, the where's, the why's, the how much's. Wherever you're at right now in your life, God is in control. You are where He wants you to be. You're going through what He wants you to go through. It all has a purpose. The purpose ultimately is to bring glory to Him. It's to do good to a lost and dying world that's around us who desperately needs to see something that's real and eternal. And it's for our own betterment. Believe it or not, it's for our own betterment. 
In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20, Joseph, who spent time in prison himself, says this. He says, I was not afraid, for I was in the place of God. Can you imagine him? somebody saying that? Joseph said, yes, I was in prison, but I was not afraid because I knew I was in the place that God had put me. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, we can propose where we're going to go, what we're going to do, what we're going to have. But God disposes. God overrules us so many times because he has something greater in mind than we even understand. Proverbs 16, 33, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap is a gambling term. It means that we can roll the dice. But guess who controls the tumble? God does. Get it down plain, get it down straight, get it down big. God is in control. I don't know where you're at right now, but God has you there. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God has you there. And I know God has you there for a purpose. God doesn't have to reveal His purposes to us because we wouldn't understand if He did, quite frankly. He just says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me, I am in control. God is in control. And this God who is in control is good. He's not a bad God. He doesn't want to hurt us. He doesn't want to harm us. He doesn't want to brutalize us. He doesn't want to abuse us. He is a God who's in control, and He's working everything out for good. Everything for good. And everything has a purpose. That's why Paul says, notice he says, I rejoice in verse 10. He said, I finally come to a place in my mind and heart when I understand that even though I made choices, even though I made decisions, some were good, some were bad, some were right, some were wrong, God is in control. And He's got His hand on my life. And He's leading me and He's guiding me through it. When Stephen was being stoned to death, was God there? Remember the deacon Stephen? He preached that great message in Acts. And after he preached it, the religious leaders hated him for that message because he talked about Jesus. He didn't talk about religion. And by the way, if you talk about Jesus in our world, they'll hate you too. You can talk about some ambiguous God. You can talk about religion all you want. Nobody will bother you. Start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll find out what persecution's all about. This world hates Jesus and it'll hate us if we talk about Him and live for Him. What did they do to Jesus, this world? What do you think they'll do to us if they get out of their hands on us? They'll crucify us too. But Stephen, as he was being stoned, God was there. 
God was in control. Because there was a man in that crowd that was encouraging the mob to murder Stephen. And that man was Saul of Tarsus. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He hated the church. And he made it his life mission to destroy it all. But yet when he saw Stephen dying, as he was being stoned, Stephen looked up into the heavens and he saw a risen Christ. He had a contentment. He had a peace. He had a satisfaction that even though he was being martyred, he was being murdered for the cause of Jesus, he had peace. And Paul was a troubled man. With all of his religion, he was a troubled man. And he looked up and he couldn't see what Stephen saw, but he wanted to see what Stephen saw. And God used that to save the soul of Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle. Wow. Stephen was dying, but God was in control. Paul is in prison, but God is in control. Because it's through Paul's prison experiences that he will have an opportunity to witness to the rulers of his day. You see, God wants all men to be saved. And God wants all men to receive witness. So Paul, through his prison experiences, witnesses to Felix and Festus and Agrippa, who were rulers, History suggests that he even witnessed to Nero, one of the most wicked men who has ever lived. Paul shared Jesus with them. They didn't receive Jesus, they rejected Christ. But they heard the gospel message, the good news. How did that happen? Because Paul was in prison. Do you know that many servants and soldiers of Caesar got saved because of Paul's prison experience. Those security guards that were attached to his wrists, who were pagans, they listened to Paul, and they listened to him talk about Jesus. They listened to him sing Amazing Grace, and it is well with my soul, and what a friend I have in Jesus. They saw a man who was tranquil, who was serene, who was at peace, and these brutal Roman guards couldn't figure it out, and many of them gave their life to Christ. How do we know that? Because in verse 22 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I salute the saints that are in Caesar's household. Caesar doesn't want Jesus, but his family and friends are giving their life to Jesus. Wow. Contentment begins... You looking for contentment? When you understand wherever you're at right now in life, wherever you're at, I don't know where you're at, you don't know where I'm at, but wherever you're at, God is in control. You're there because He wants you there. What's happening to you is because He wants it to happen to you. Don't fight it. Be submissive to Him. Understand there's a purpose in it all, and the purpose one day will be revealed to you. Secondly, contentment is not only found in understanding that God is in control, the sovereignty of God over all things. 
But contentment is also found in lessening our demands on people. Lessening our demands on people. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Though I'm in prison, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last your care of me has flourished again. Now pay attention to that phrase. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's sending this letter back by Epaphrodites. And he says to the church, Your care of me has flourished again. Where you used to be careful, maybe you just lacked opportunity. Now listen to your pastor carefully. Paul was a missionary. He had missionary work. Even though Paul oftentimes worked a second job to support himself in his ministry, he was dependent upon churches supporting him in his ministry to help make up the need that he had. Just like we support over 58 different ministries here at Miles Road Baptist Church. Just as those missionaries in the field depend upon us to help them financially, Paul depended on the church at Philippi to help him financially do the work that God called him to do. The church at Philippi was one of his most gracious, generous supporters. Was one of his most gracious, generous supporters. But something happened, and for the last decade... They have not sent him anything. And they've not given him any explanation for it. Notice he said, Your care of me has flourished again. The implication is it stopped for some reason. And now it's starting up again with the arrival of Timothy and Epaphrodites to visit him and bring him a love gift. Now, what happened in the church to cause their support of Paul and his ministry to cease for almost a decade? Was there a financial hardship in the church and they couldn't support missions no more? Was there a leadership change and the new leadership said, we're not going to support missionaries, we're not sending our money abroad, it's staying right here in the church? Was there a theological difference? Because we know that there was a lot of false teachers going around trying to influence false doctrine in churches that Paul was at. Was there a persecution issue? Was the church being persecuted and that persecution caused them to be intimidated about helping anyone? I don't know the reason, but pay attention. For almost a decade, this church that used to support Paul and his ministry has not supported him at all. And not only have they not sent him any money, they've sent him no explanation. They just kind of disappeared for the last eight to ten years. All of that changes, as I said, when Timothy and Epaphrodites show up to visit Paul in prison. And they bring Paul a love gift to help him provide for his needs while he's in prison. 
Notice the word flourish, if you will, if you're looking at your Bibles. That word flourish means something that was dead comes back to life. Something that has lost its fragrance is re-fragrance. Something that's lost its beauty has its beauty returned. This church and its support of Paul went dead. But now it's come back to life. Now, let me ask you a question, because I know you're a very pious group. (laughs) If somebody was helping you out in your ministry, every month you got a check from them saying, thank you for your service to the Lord. Use this check however you can use it for the glory of God. You counted on them. And for 24 months, you've got a check in the mail from a particular church, a particular group of people, an individual perhaps. And then all of a sudden, you hear nothing from them again. Eight years of silence. Eight years of no gifts. It's like they have forgotten you. Like they've fallen off the end of the cliff, or you have fallen off the end of the cliff in their own mind. How would you feel about that? Oh, pastor, it wouldn't bother me a bit. You're lying. You would be a little bit frustrated, aggravated, perturbed, angry. You might even be a little bit bitter. Why? Because these people let you down. They didn't give you what you expected to get. You will never find contentment in life if you're always thinking somebody else has to do something for you to give you that contentment. See, we have a problem today, and it's not just in the world, it's in the church. We have a victim mentality. Somebody owes me something. We have a welfare attitude. How dare you mindset? You owe me this approach. What's in it for me slant? And whenever you develop that mindset or that heart set, you're always expecting people to be the source of your contentment. And when these people don't make you content, they don't make you peaceful, they don't make you satisfied, we get angry with them. And we blame them for our lack of it. Paul did not allow that to happen. Yes, he was probably wondering where the support, why it wasn't coming anymore. Why haven't they said anything to me? But he found that there's no reason to be angry and mad at people and bitter toward people because sometimes our expectations of people are too much anyway. If you're a wife here today and you're upset with your husband because you're not happy, it's not your husband's fault. If you're a husband here today and you're not happy with your wife, you're not finding contentment and satisfaction in her, it's not her fault. It comes from you. And we get angry and upset at people because they don't give us what we think we deserve. They don't give us what we want. 
And you'll never find contentment if you're always looking for it among people because that's the wrong places. Paul's philosophy of life is expect nothing and you will never be disappointed. Thirdly, we're talking about contentment. We're talking about how to have contentment, an inward peace with an outward joy, a peace and joy that is so conspicuous and contagious that everybody can see it and everybody wants it. A contentment that doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you're in the rich house or whether you're in the poor house, it doesn't matter. It's well with yourself. Thirdly, contentment is found in knowing God, not in circumstances or things. Contentment. This peace, this satisfaction that everybody's looking for is not found in circumstances, not found in things. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 and 12, Paul says, Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. See, he didn't learn this overnight. This word learn means it was a progressive thing. But through time, he learned that whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter who you're with. Doesn't matter what you're going through. He says, I've learned that I can be content. And then in verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Paul says, I understand that life is not still and life is not stable. Do you understand that too? Life is not still. Life is not stable. Life is constantly in a flux. You see, right now, some of you are saying, I'm doing well. Well, you know, you could get a telephone call tomorrow morning from your doctor. And he said, by the way, that biopsy that we did of you, that I told you I thought everything was okay, well, you need to come on in. You get ready for work in the morning. And before you get out of the house, ding, ding, ding. Oh, yes, sir. I'm what? You don't need me anymore? But sir, I've been with you 24 years. I've been faithful. You're laying me off. My job has been taken over by a robot. You see, you can be fat and sassy right now and lean and sad tomorrow. Because life is a flux. And Paul understood that, and we need to understand that. You know what Paul is saying? Sometimes life, I'm going to be free. Other times in life, I'm going to be in prison. Sometimes life is going to be easy and fun. Other times it's going to be hard and difficult. Sometimes I'm going to have plenty. Sometimes I'm going to have nothing. Sometimes life will be pleasurable. Other times I'm going to suffer and have pain. Sometimes I'm going to be healthy. Other times I'm going to be sick. 
Sometimes I'm going to laugh. Other times I'm going to cry. Sometimes I'm going to ride the rainbow. Other times I'm going to be dragging the line. Sometimes my life will be stormy. Sometimes my life will be sunny. But whatever my life is should not affect my contentment with life. That's what he's saying. Whether I have plenty or whether I'm in poverty, it doesn't matter. Because contentment is not found in my circumstance. Contentment is not found in my things or lack of things. Contentment is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. You see, he understood that. He knew it here, but it took a while for the learning process to trickle down to here. Because we know that too. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know. I'm just reminding you because we tend to forget. Some of you right now think, I'll be content if I can just get a different circumstance. I just need to get out of this marriage. I need to get out of this job. I need to get out of this church. I need to get out of this community. Change is all I need. I need something new. I need something better. If my circumstance changes, I'll be fine. No, you won't. The problem will go with you wherever you go because you're the problem. That's what we think. If I can just have one more car, if I can just have a bigger house, if I can just have a nicer wardrobe, if I can just have a bigger ring on this finger or a ring at all, all I need is some things, some stuff. And life will be good and I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. The richest man who ever lived, David Rockefeller in his time, was asked if he could have anything else, what would he want? He said one more dollar. One more dollar out of a man who's got millions upon millions in the bank. You see, contentment is not found in circumstances. It's not found in things. It's found in a person whose name is Jesus. Elvis Presley had fame. Alexander the Great had power. Howard Hughes was a billionaire. He had money. Marilyn Monroe had beauty and sex appeal. Michael Jackson had every toy a man would want, including his own amusement park. Elizabeth Taylor had husband after husband after husband after husband. After husband. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway was one of the greatest exploiters of the 20th century. Man, the man did all kind of experiences. Time magazine rated him as one of the top 50 men of the last century. And yet he found no contentment. He took his head off his shoulders with a shotgun. That's how discontented he was with life. See, circumstances and things don't make you content. The Lord is my shepherd. Help me, I shall not want. Some of you have a want for contentment, and only the Lord Jesus, the shepherd, can give it. Lastly, and we close and finish this up. Pastor, I'm looking for contentment. I'm looking for an inward peace. I'm looking for outward joy. I'm looking for something that lasts 
that doesn't change with the times, that doesn't change with the circumstances, that doesn't change with the abundance of things or the lack of things. Pastor, I'm looking for that. Well, listen, it comes when you understand that God is in control of your life. It comes when we understand we need to give people a break and quit expecting people to give us something they cannot deliver. We need to understand that contentment doesn't come from circumstances and things. It comes from a risen Christ. And then lastly, verse 13. Now I've been talking to you about context. This is an often quoted verse and an often applied verse, but it's often misquoted and misapplied. Because what is Paul talking about now? You guys help me. He's talking about what? Contentment. He says, I have found it, Eureka. How do I keep it? Verse 13 tells us. He says, I can do all things in regard to contentment through Christ which strengthens me. You see, we take that verse and we use it to say we can do anything through Christ. We just got the strength of Christ, we can do anything. Can I tell you something? That's not true. I wish I could fly. I wish I could jump off this platform and not fall on Kim. <laughs> that I could just fly around this place like a bird. You say, my, that's super pastor. Christ Jesus can be my strength, but I'm not going to fly. I wish I could go to the gym and lift 500 pounds on that bench. Wish I could do it, Kevin. First of all, I couldn't load all the weight up on it to do it. And if I could get that bar somehow off, I can tell you what it would do to me. It'd crush me. It'd take the whole gym to get that thing off me. But you, Pastor, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. No, you can't do that. I can't fly, though Christ can be my strength. I can't wait, pick up 500 pounds, though Christ will be my strength. I'd like to be an NFL quarterback. I'm waiting for the call. Tom Brady's got to retire sometime. I can do it. You say, Pastor, you're being... What I'm trying to get you to see is we take verses out of context. What Paul is saying is this. I have found contentment. I have found that contentment in prison. I found that contentment not in circumstances or things. I have found that contentment in Christ. Christ alone has given me a contentment. And Christ alone will keep that contentment. It's through the Spirit of Christ that that contentment that I found, I can keep. Paul found contentment in prison, not just for the moment that he was writing this letter, but for the rest of his life. Where did it come from? The Spirit of Christ. Stephen was dying as he was being stoned, this man of God, as he was bleeding, as he was bruised, as he was battered, as he was bloodied, as he was dying, he found contentment. Where did the contentment come from? From the Spirit of Christ. 
W.E. Sangster, the great pastor of London, England during World War II. And the latter part of his life, he found himself able to move only his little finger. He was paralyzed. He was stricken with the disease that bedridden him. He could only move his finger in the last days of his life. Yet he found contentment. Where did that contentment come from? The Spirit of Christ that gave him strength. Tim Lee stepped on a clayborne mine in Vietnam and lost half his body. Where did he find contentment to live with a half a body? Through the Spirit of Christ. Horatio Spafford lost four children in a ship disaster in the Atlantic Ocean. Where did this great man of God find the courage and the spirit to carry on and contentment to keep on, keep it on? He found it from the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Paul said, I found it. The Spirit of Christ keeps it for me. It maintains it. That no matter where I find myself in this journey we call life, it is well with my soul. Contentment, where are you at? Heads are bowed in my 